0: between a long sermon and a hostage situation therefore um, I'm probably this is you're probably not going to get through the whole thing today okay probably only going to get through the first two verses because otherwise it will be fairly lengthy and we'll pick up probably next week because of the 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 things that it, it deals with Um, in the Old Testament. So turning to Luke chapter 19, we are looking this morning, continuing in our series, The Controversial King, you're going to see really the, the first aspect of that controversy and why Jesus was so controversial, you see it when he goes to cleanse the temple and um, then you're going to see it, when it with his teaching. His teaching was very controversial as chapter 20 uh, will explain. And so as we come to this passage, it's a familiar passage uh, of Jesus going into the temple. Many people uh, have heard of this account. Well, with it being fall, my family... uh Gets to enjoy going and watching my daughter go play soccer, and I asked her if I could use this illustration. She said, "Of course." So anyway, so she, we, we we love going to watch her play soccer, and you know how the kids play soccer. They you know it's just a huge group of kids moving all around and running and kicking and kicking each other and all of that kind of stuff. And so we said, "Hey, let let's practice a little, right? Let's let's practice some." So uh, she, uh, em, em, and I are in the backyard, and we're kicking the soccer ball we set up some goals and I kept kicking the ball and she would run and then meet the ball and then kick it and and try to score she was practicing with her left foot and with her right foot and uh, she was she was doing all of this but every time she would go and kick with her one foot the ball would go wide right so she knew how to fix that right you know what she did she walked up she took the goals and she moved them over to the right brilliant Right? Problem solved. The only problem with that is that in the game, that won't work. And um, while I was doing that, I had just finished studying this, and I thought, wow, you know, that's that's a pretty good parallel in some regards. Because so many people want to worship Jesus. They want to worship in their own way. Instead of correcting that, they want to move the goal. And God says, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. And so what you see here is the king is entering into his temple to restore the true worship of God. It's what you have Jesus doing here. It's His restoration. It's His restorative work that the king is doing. And so that brings us to our, our theme this morning of what is going on. That Jesus, King Jesus enters His temple to restore true worship. Let's look at verse 45 and 46 this morning. First of all, you see that Jesus cleanses the temple. In the second part, you see where He begins teaching. And uh, He teaches them, and they were hanging on His words. That's a word that in the original text, that's a word that is used only one time in the New Testament. And it's meant to to really show a flavor, a great uh, vivid picture of what the people were actually doing. And so Jesus was a very popular teacher. And uh, you're going to see that they were desirous to have him killed, but they couldn't figure out a way to do it. And so what they had to do is they couldn't take Him from the outside, so they had to work their way in. And they got Judas to bring Jesus down, so to speak. Although, of course, we know this is all part of God's plan. But in the verses 45 and 46, we see Jesus entering the temple. It says that Jesus now enters the temple and drives out those who sold. Verse 45. So this is a well-known account of Jesus' righteous anger. I think that's the first thing we need to understand. I'm going to give you lots of points. Uh, I only have one point that is going to be up on the screen, but lots of other points. But you can see here that Jesus was righteously anger, angry. And so it's okay to be angry uh, about righteous things. Uh, Here, they were worshiping God in a false way. Would that not bring about anger from a righteous God? He was righteous in his anger regarding the glory of God and the worship of God. And he was zealous to make it right. Now, this passage is actually recorded in all three synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke. And let me remind you that that means that the synoptic gospel, synos, and optic, optic to see, synos the same. They see Jesus the same way. They see him, uh, uh, his ministry primarily in Galilee and moving down and teaching and, and then going to the cross. The Gospel of John sees Jesus through the, the lens of the festivals that are going on, the, the three Passovers that, while Jesus is ministering. And. One of the interesting things that you may know or you may not know, that is John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. if you want to go back to John chapter two later on today, and read, you will see that Jesus cleansed the temple for the first time at the beginning of his ministry. So Jesus cleanses the temple two separate times. The first time at the beginning of His ministry, and then He does it again here on His Passion Week as He is going to the cross to die. And so, during that first time, it's kind of like these bookends of his ministry, and when he goes, he's there at Passover again, and he does this very thing. They were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers were sitting there, and John records that he had made a whip of cords... Uh, for cords and drove them out of the temple with all of the animals. And it was there that it records that he flips the tables and the, the money goes flying everywhere. It was, a, it was a very vivid expression of what was going on. He confronted those who had sold the pigeons, specifically what, what the poor people would have been able to get. And he said, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples then remembered in John, records, that it was written, zeal for your house has consumed me. That it was something that he was passionate about. And so, uh, this was actually quoting from Psalm 69, verse 9, where David was being persecuted because of his love for God and his love for God's house and His glory. But back in chapter 19 looking at Luke 45 we need to learn some background to this passage first of all to make it sense make sense this isn't Jesus saying what am I going to do today maybe I'll just go into the temple and just flip over some tables and start yelling Uh, this is very calculated in everything that he is doing and there is a great reason why Luke records actually the shortest account of this. So if you want to fill in some additional details, which I'm going to give you a few, but if you want to fill in some of the additional details, you can go back and read Matthew and Mark's account of this. Mark actually tells us that this takes place the day following the triumphal entry. So Jesus has come into Jerusalem. Uh, they have you know, praised Him and said, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And they are so thrilled that Jesus has come. And now what does Jesus do? He goes into the temple. As He enters the temple, you have to understand that he's not talking about the temple proper. He's not talking about the actual building. He's talking about the temple complex. Now, the temple complex was massive. It was about 170,000 square yards. And to put that into perspective, if I did my math correctly, it's about 26, 27 football fields, okay? Okay. So it, this was a huge, huge place. And so there were all sorts of things around it. The, the actual temple itself was rather small, but it, it, was a, it was a massive place. And you would need a massive place to have all of those people coming into uh, Jerusalem during the Passover time to offer all of the sacrifices. As a matter of fact, this was the largest religious sanctuary in all of the Roman Empire. The Jews were the ones who were allowed to enter into the temple gates proper. And one of the things that we understand is that God is a God of love and rejoicing when people come to Him. One of the main jobs of the Jews was to be a light to the Gentiles. You read that in Romans 15. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. Just like we are called to be light to our neighbors. It doesn't matter who our neighbors are. We are to to be a light to them. And so we are called to do that. The same way Jews were called to be a light to the Gentiles. So they were to have this place where the Gentiles from all over were to be able to come and to worship. And you're going to see that even more. And specifically, they were called to come to this place. Now, because they were Gentiles, they were not able to go into the specific place of the, of the court of the, the Jews. They were only permitted to go into this massive place of the court of the Gentiles. And specifically, it was there that the Gentiles were to come, and they were to meet, and they were to gather, and they were to pray. Now, that's important. They were to come, meet, gather, to pray as they brought their sacrifices to the Lord. Now, the Jews, of course, would go to Jerusalem for Passover sacrifices. Also at that time, and this is important, that was the time, according to Deuteronomy 16, that the temple tax for all Jews was was also due. So you went, to, you went there during this time to pay the temple tax, and you went there to give the sacrifice for Passover. So, there was a fair amount of money that was being spent at this time, that was being dealt with in this time. They would need to pay the temple tax, they would need to buy the animals for sacrifice. Now, because most of the people 're traveling, you can imagine uh, if we said, "Hey, we all have to go to the capitol, we all have to go to washington d c this weekend, and while we go, we all have to load up our minivans and and, and all of that with with animals. that would be difficult, even in our modern time wouldn 't it? It would be rather inconvenient, and so what they did was they had a a procedure. So that as the people were traveling, the Gentiles, the Jews, as they were traveling, they would be able to go to the the temple and they would be able to purchase their animals there. Now specifically, and this is fascinating, specifically there were a number of places on Mount Olives, the Mount of Olives, where they were able to purchase these animals. But that was still outside of the city. And so the, the scribes, the, the priests, the, the high priest specifically, they saw, hey, this is a great opportunity. Instead of making the people bring their animals or even buy the animals out there and then bring them in, why don't we just sell these animals right inside the temple? We're going to make it super convenient for them. But for convenience, you are going to pay A pretty nice premium. Now, when we get to this place, we have to understand that the idea of making it convenient for them, that there was nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that. The fact that they were selling the animal sacrifices there, that wasn't the problem. But there were three major problems that did occur during this time. Two of them are are pretty close. But nevertheless, the first problem was that the high priest and the others had set up even an, the even more convenient location and had charged the exorbitant amount for the convenience of it. That was the first problem. It's not that they were simply providing for them, it was that they were profiting from it. And it wasn't just that they were profiting from it, it was that they were grossly taking advantage of them for it. So they were using... God's work to get rich. They were doing this in that way. You you know and you are familiar with this. Any of you ever go to a baseball game, a football game, or a hockey game? And you buy a drink there. How much does that drink cost? Well, you have to take out a loan, don't you? Right? You get a 32-ounce drink in this piece of junk commemorative mug... 32 ounces for what? $7.50. I mean, you could go to Walmart now and buy a two liter for what? Now it's probably like $3 or $3.50, but you know what I'm saying? For for much, much cheaper. Why are they doing that? For the convenience. And it's especially great when they ban, oh, you're not allowed to bring drinks here. You you can't you can't bring drinks in here. You have Oh, water, $17. You're like, "It's coming out of your spigot." Right? You know, <laughs> I don't know how you're doing that. that. That that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. So you're familiar with that. Well, that's what the high priests were doing. And they were doing it at a premium and they were doing it to God's people. You See, there's no real problem with covering your costs to be uh, and being fair, because you can't stay in business by giving away stuff for free. And this has been tried many times. Um, in 2019, there was a restaurant called Eat um, Everyone at the Table. Okay, that's what it stood for, and it had to close its doors. It was located in Philly, and I know there are a number of other. This was tried in a number of other cities as well. You went in, and you could get a healthy meal. It's a great idea. You get a a healthy meal, you walk in, and they have a suggested price. Now, you get to pay whatever you want. They say you pay whatever you can afford. And so there were some people that would go in, and they would say, well, I can't afford anything, so I've got this great meal. And then there were some people who would go in, and they would say, well, I could afford half of it. And uh, they sought on on their website, they said, we addressed food insecurity by serving delicious meals to all who walk through the door. Great idea, right? Um, But they had to close their doors because due to rising operating costs and loss of funding, they had to shut down. And so you see what we have to understand, and what God does understand about economics, is there is nothing for free. Everything you get, somebody has paid for that. I mean, somebody pays for everything. There, there, there is nothing that is free. And so in order to, it's one thing to say, you know, I'm going to dominate my time. I'm going to raise these animals. I'm going to sell them at cost. That's fine. There's nothing else wrong to say I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it at a normal rate, you know, to make a good. But that's not what the, the, the high priests were doing. They were grossly taking advantage of the people. And so doing this business also inside the temple court was what was wrong because it was a place of prayer. We'll get to that. The second problem, and related to the first, was the issue of the money changers. Now specifically, Luke doesn't actually mention the money changers. But it is found and it is very well known that this was indeed the case according to Matthew and Mark. So here's what would happen. You'd have to pay the temple tax or you would have to buy the sacrifices. But this is God's place and in God's place everything has to be holy. It has to be right. And so with so much money being used and so much money needing to be exchanged, you know that we do that too. If you travel somewhere, you you have to do what? You can't just... You know, when, when we traveled to China, I had to go and I had to convert my money into Chinese money. To, I, I had to do that. You have to convert money. And so there's actually a fee that goes along with that. And so they were doing the same thing. The only difference is, once again, they were taking great advantage of that. You see, the, the money, the reason that they did this was really twofold. First of all, the coin that they required, the Tyre- Tyrian silver silver half shekel, this was the official coinage that they required usage of. It contained more silver than others, so it was actually a little more valuable, so they, they wanted to have that. And second of all, with people, especially coming the Gentiles coming from other places, their coinage would many times have pictures of other false gods or other false emperors. Well, this is God's temple. We're not going to allow money with icons of false gods and false kings enter into the temple. So we have to get rid of those. So we're going to take that and we're going to exchange it and require you to do that. And oh yeah, by the way, we're going to charge you a high premium for that. I mean, it's... If I could pause for a minute, it's kind of like saying, you know what, folks? When you come to know Christ as your Savior, you need to, you need to be baptized, right? I mean that that's biblical. You need to be baptized. Now, when you come out of the tub, okay, um, we're going to charge you fifty dollars to use our towels, and you're not allowed to bring your own towels, right? Um, because the pastor got to go out to lunch afterwards, right? I mean, that's, that's ludicrous. That's, that's ridiculous. And so what, what we see, this is what was going on. So the exchange rate came at a steep cost here. They were taking advantage of the people. They weren't just trying to cover their costs. They were taking advantage of the people. The third one, and the final issue that is found, we see it in Jesus' words. Look at verse 46. Jesus explains That's some of the background of it. Now we get into a little bit more of the specifics of what Jesus is saying. So, He goes to the temple. He begins to drive those out who sold. And He says to them, it is written. So, He's going to be quoting the Old Testament. Because we're living in the Old Testament time here. He says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now those are two quotes from two Old Testament passages. So we're going to need to look at those and see what was actually behind that. Why did Jesus choose those things? What was the original understanding of those things? And how are those things applying? So first of all, let's understand that this problem was the intent for the house of God was not being met because of the other things that were going on in it. This comes out in Jeremiah chapter 7 and Isaiah 56, if you want to jot those references down, and we're going to look at those. See, Jesus said that it was supposed to be a house of prayer. The temple court was to be the place where the Gentiles would come reverently and pray. Now you know when you pray, it's much better to have a quiet place to pray, isn't it? I understand that you might be in a situation and you have to pray real quickly to the Lord because we're always supposed to be in a spirit of prayer. I understand you might have to do that sometime and pray uh, in, in a crowd. But here, He specifically say, we understand that if you're truly going to pray, that's why, for instance, when we take the Lord's Supper, it is quiet. There might be some soft music playing, but it is quiet. We don't say, all right, let's prepare for the Lord's Supper where you're supposed to be praying and thinking deeply about what Christ has done for us. We don't say, okay, now let's shake hands and prepare ourselves while we're doing that. That would be, that would be very difficult. It's hardly the setting when you hear all the noise of the animals and the clamor of people doing business in the temple court. All of the, the sheep blah and all of the, the coins and people doing the bartering and all of this stuff. That's hardly the place where you can go and actually pray. It's kind of like trying to go have your prayer time at halftime at the football game at the concession stand. It's going to be kind of difficult. You're going to be smelling things. By the way, they didn't just sell the animals. They, they sold oil and they sold salt and they sold all kinds of stuff that went along with the sacrifices. You know, things that you could add on. And so here, this was very difficult for them. And so by their greed, they took away the spiritual emphasis that the people were supposed to have. This was supposed to be a place for the the Gentiles to see. So Jesus was condemning them for making their obscene profit from the sacrificial animals, the exchange of money, and the noise pollution that put the emphasis on profit rather than prayer. Now you'll notice again that in verse 46 46 it says that it is written. Jesus first of all says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. So let's, Let's take just a moment and let's understand a little bit of the context to that. If you want to turn to Isaiah 56, I'm not going to spend as much time, I'm going to spend a little more time in Isaiah or in Jeremiah. But if you turn to Isaiah 56, you, you can read and see a little bit of the, the context. Overall, what Jesus is quoting Isaiah here is saying is that there's going to come a time when the light is going to go from the Jews all the way to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are going to be able to come to the temple and it is going to be the great time when they too will be able to pray. And so Jesus... Quoting Isaiah, Isaiah 56, let me just read verse 1 for you. He says, Thus says the Lord to the people, Keep justice, do righteousness, for soon My salvation will come and My righteousness will be revealed. So the, the revelation of God's righteousness is going to be revealed. Revealed to who? To all of the nations. Jump down to verse Six in Isaiah fifty-six, he says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants. Do you see that? All the these foreigners, they're going to come, and they're going to they're going to now be my people. That's what he's saying. They're coming to worship. They're coming to serve. They're going to be my people. And he says, everyone who. Keeps my Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. He says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. And their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now it's interesting and fascinating that that. Matthew and Mark, I believe both of them, maybe just one of them referenced the fact that it is to be a house of prayer to all peoples, and, and yet Luke does not. And there's a whole discussion as to why that is. But it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter here. Luke just quits the, the quotation right there. He says it is to be a, <coughs> it is to be a house of prayer. And originally it's to be a house of prayer to all the peoples. It's not supposed to be a place of profit. And so he's saying, you people who have been put in charge of my temple, you are ruining it for the people who are supposed to come here. God takes it seriously. Jesus takes that seriously. And so, he's ultimately saying there's coming a day when these foreigners, the eunuchs and all these who were formerly outside of the people of God, they will be God's people and servants. And they're going to come, and they're going to come to the joyful house of prayer. And it's going to be called the house of prayer for all the peoples. Now, we see that they took away from them. It's important to note that Jesus could do this. He could walk in, and He could do this. Why could He walk in, and why could He do this? Because this was His house. See, He's the King. Do you get that? He enters into Jerusalem. And the first place that He goes is to the temple. Because that's His house. He's the King. And I think it's an important application that we stop and we consider what is the American church become? Is the American church a house of prayer? Is it a house of teaching? Is it a house of worship? Or is it a house of entertainment? Would you say that the church has become monetized with all the books and conferences and blogs and celebrity pastors? Would you say that the church has become more God-centered or man-centered? Do, you, do people go to church to meet the living God? Or do we go there to hang out with our friends? Do we go there to enjoy the programs? To attend a a concert that used to be congregational worship? We would be grossly negligent, though, if we stopped and considered what we do here, though. Are we here today to try to get a crowd, to try to build a bigger building, to get more people, add more programs, to build a brand? Is that what we are supposed to be doing? Or are we truly just supposed to be God's simple people who are simply coming simply to worship the Lord God, our Creator? That doesn't draw crowds. But that's putting the goal where it's supposed to be. Well, Jesus says a second quote. He gives a second quote. Not only, does he, <coughs> not only does he say that it's supposed to be a house of prayer, but he also condemns them and says that you have made it into a den of robbers. Literally, literally a cave of thieves. Okay? Uh, he, he's like, you, you've turned, you have turned God's house, His temple, into a, a cave a cave of of thieves this is not what it is supposed to be now to be sure the plain understanding and application of this was there they were robbing the people with the selling of their sacrifices and with the money changers it was all about money but this comes from the prophet of jeremiah now you have to understand a little bit about who jeremiah was Jeremiah is kind of one of those big books in the Old Testament. Kind of look at it and get a little intimidated. And, you know, when you're doing your Bible reading, you're like, wow, reading one of these, uh, maybe I'll just go read Psalms instead because that makes me feel better. Okay, but Jeremiah had some great teaching. Jeremiah was one of those prophets who prophesied during the time when the temple still was, when that, when that first temple still was, before they had gone into exile. Remember, God was going to judge the Israelites because of their wickedness, and they were going to be taken captive away to Babylon because of their wickedness. And part of what was going to happen was the temple was going to be destroyed. So they were going to lose their very place. And it is after that that Jeremiah goes and he laments over this. He weeps. He cries over this because of the destruction that he sees. And thus we have the book of Lamentations. However, there is hope. There is hope that there is one day when all is going to be made right in that. So... Like we did with Isaiah, let's read some of, of Jeremiah for context. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing here. And so I, I want you to stick with me. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. Because of, of some of the things that Jeremiah is seeing. And some of the things that, that they are doing. And some of the things that they are putting their trust in. And this is what leads them down that slope to, to being the den of robbers. In, Isaiah, in Jeremiah chapter 7. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. He he tells Jeremiah, he gives him a very hard job. He tells him, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And he gives him a sermon that is a really difficult sermon to hear. It's not what the people want to hear. It's what needs to be heard. And he says, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter the gates to worship the Lord. So you see the setting there, right? What is happening there? They're getting ready to go in to worship the Lord. They're getting ready to go to church. And thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He says, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. So what's the first thing He tells them there? Amend your ways? We have another word that Jesus uses. That's called repent. Right? Change your ways. Stop doing what you're doing and you need to change. So he tells... And and these are the religious people he's talking to, right? These are the people that are going to church. He's not talking to the people that aren't in church. He's talking about the people that are in church. And so he tells them, amend your ways. And listen to what he says. This is fascinating. He tells them, Do not trust in these deceptive words. What are the deceptive words? These deceptive words are words that they keep telling themselves because they repeat it. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. He says don't deceive yourself in hearing those words. What does that mean? See, they're going to the temple and they're thinking, hey, we're good, we're great, because this is where God is and God loves us and we're going and, and we're going to the temple. So we're all good. He says... In verse 5, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place and the land that I give uh, gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. So, See, what he's saying is you're trusting in the fact that you're going to the temple, that you're going to church, but your lives don't back up anything. The only time you're acting as a follower of Yahweh, the only time you're acting as a follower of God is the, the Sabbath morning when you're going to the temple. The rest of the six days, phew, you 're living and doing whatever you want you're taking advantage of people you're following after other gods you're doing all kinds you're deceiving people you're lying you're squandering people out of stuff you're not caring about the people that are most vulnerable you're not doing any of that stuff and then you come here and want to praise us what is God ultimately saying here you're a bunch of hypocrites that 's what Jeremiah and That's what Jeremiah is telling the people. I bet nobody walked past him and said, good sermon today, Jeremiah. Let's continue. You see, he says, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. See, you can tell yourself lies over and over and over and over and over and over over again. Can't you? And it doesn't matter how many times you tell yourself to lie. A lie is a lie. Deception is deception. If you're driving down the road and it says bridge out ahead, okay? Bridge out ahead. I don't care if you grew up in the 80s and a staple in 80s movies and TV shows was cars jumping bridges, okay? That's not going to happen. You can drive down that road in it, and you can say, even though the sign says the bridge is out, you can say the bridge is up, the bridge is up, the bridge is up, the bridge is up, the bridge is up. And guess what? You can tell yourself that lie as long as you want, but the bridge is not up. And that's what they were. They were trusting in themselves. They were trusting in their religiousosity, if that even is a word. We, we can't do that. See, he says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal? Listen to what he says. He says, will you steal? Will you murder? Will you commit adultery? Will you swear falsely? Will you lie? Will you make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? So he's saying, Were well, you going to live this wickedness? Are you going to live in this, this, this kind of lifestyle? And then you're going to come to me? and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say we're delivered right are we going to live like that our whole entire life you know monday to put it today's application we're we going to live that way monday through saturday living in idolatry and allowing ourselves to go with unchecked lust and desire and then come and say blessed be the name of the lord he says you you better check what you're doing he says only to go to the all these abominations has the house and here is the declaration here's the declaration has the house this house which is called by not my name has it become a den of robbers in your eyes See, have you now turned the temple? Hasn't it now really just become a cave of thieves? Now, he gives an interesting thing. and We don't have time to delve into it, but I would encourage you to look it up and read. He says, he, God tells him, I want, you, I want to give you a reminder. He says, I want you to go to Shiloh. I want you to remember it. I want you to go to Shiloh in verse 12. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. He says, you want to remember something? You want to see what's coming down the pike for you? Go visit Shiloh. You go back in the Old Testament and you read what happened with Shiloh and the, the Ark of the Covenant and what happened there. And by the way, God decimated it. It is no more. So he says, this this is the context. When Jesus says, you have turned my temple into a house, a den, a cave of thieves. You see how that had already taken place. That was going on. And what happened right after Jeremiah teaches that? Here come the Babylonians and they judge them. They don't listen to them because they like the money. They don't listen to Him because they like the, the, the heap of praise. They don't listen to Him because instead of proclaiming what God says, the people wanted to hear the things that they wanted to hear. But then judgment still came. Judgment still came upon them. And then God says, you know what, this is going to happen again. When Jesus was on earth, and you know what, the judgment came. AD 70, it came. And so then we learn about that now. Do we dare go down that slippery slope as well? This is a warning to us as well that that we cannot be hypocrites that we need to take holiness seriously, that we need to strive to live. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation. You can't do it. You can't be good enough. I'm not asking you to be good enough before you come to church or anything like that. We are all sinful before God. We're all in the same boat doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you've come from. But if you turn from your sin and you believe on Christ, that, that's it. You are saved by faith. You trust in Him. And then you follow Him as your Lord. That shows you that your faith is real and you're striving to become more and more like Jesus. That's what He's talking about. So we, we repent. Yeah, we do. We sin. We do things that are wrong. But then we turn from those and we don't want to do that. So... Here, the men were breaking all of God's laws. They were men of idolatry. And then they were going to the temple to worship. Dale Ralph Davis translates it this way. You, which is emphatic in the original text, you have made it, my house, a cave of thugs. As if they were a bunch of rogues running wild and then coming back to the safety of their hideout, the temple. Their hideout was the temple. Let's not make the hideout our church. We are called to be holy in our worship and in our practice. So, my application point is number one. And that's all we're getting to today. But it is to be diligent to practice God's truth. We can put this a million ways. I I wrote it out like... 15 different ways I think right don't be a hypocrite be serious about growing in Christ Uh, actually do the things that we are supposed to do don't don't just hear say oh wow that was a nice sermon and go off and live any way that you want he tells us that we are to do this this is what the hypocrites do Their doctrine didn't affect how they lived. Their religion was empty. It was materialistic. It was selfish. And God has called us to be different. We've already seen how God's truth about how we are to worship inside the church. But what about keeping His commands outside of the church? What about at home? Are we serious about that? Are we serious about living God's truth? Let me just give you a few. I picked out a couple. We could read the entire New Testament. And I mean, we could be here for a long time. So I kind of thought, well, I'll stick to a couple of little places. First of all, let me ask you are we serious about just Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. This means humility. Or, I mean, are we, do you wake up and say, Lord, I, I want you to help me be a humble person today? Do, do we live like that, or are we just not humble? Or are we prideful? Number two, what about blessed are those who mourn? This means sorrow over your sin. Do we just wink at it? Eh, it's no big deal. So I lied about that. I lied about this. This person believed a lie, came to me, told me a lie, and then I affirmed their lie. That's bearing false witness as well. So we, we, need, to, we, need, to, we need to sorrow over our sin. It's, it's not that we're tr- saying you have to be perfect. It's saying we need to sorry, be sorry for our sin because there is a God who is gracious and merciful. That was the whole purpose of the sacrifices to begin with, right? To come and to give the sacrifice, and God forgives our sins. Jesus is our sacrifice. But there has to be sorrow over that. Um, I'm not saying you walk around perpetually sorrowful, mourning, you know, putting sackcloth and ashes on your hand. But, but you're saying, Lord, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. And there's rejoicing in that because God does freely, freely forgive us. What about blessed are the meek? These are the gentle (coughs) who are being empowered by God's Spirit. What about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? This is a striving to be holy. You know, a lot of people strive for money. They strive to get out of difficult situations. What about striving for holiness? Remember, Jesus is serious about this. Later on, in, in later on in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. Think about. You tell me this isn't serious. He says, "If your eye offends you, if your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out." That's kind of radical, wouldn't you say? Jesus is saying, that's how serious about holiness I am. Listen, if your phone is causing you to sin, get rid of it. Do you know? Here's a fun fact for you, to quote Paul Blart. I don't know why I just said that. But fun fact, people have lived for thousands of years without smartphones. Now, you can keep it. I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to judge you at all. But I'm just saying, if your phone causes you to sin, and I think you know what I'm talking about. If your phone causes you to sin, get rid of it. I mean, in in American Christianity, that's radical. Come on, that's ridiculous. But that's what he's talking about. Are you serious about? Are you serious about striving? So... He says, strive to be holy. Blessed are the merciful. Do you want to be merciful? Is that how you live? Do you seek to be merciful? Blessed are the pure in heart. Do you seek purity in your life? God puts a premium on that. He says you should be pure. What about what Paul says in Philippians because he's he's quoting how Jesus lived Jesus' attitude. I love that Jesus never asks us to live in ways that He didn't. Jesus never says, do as I say, not as I do. Jesus never says that. He says, I humbled myself, and I became obedient unto death. And here's what we see before that. Philippians 2, 3-4, do you practice this? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interests of others. You know, this, 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 is, this is how He tells us to live. This, this is just a few of the things. But sometimes we just want to ignore all those things and then show up and act like we're perfectly fine. He, Jesus just says, listen, make sure that my house is a house of prayer. The intention is correct. And then second of all, make sure that you, you have not turned it into a den of thieves that you've not turned it into a hideout, that your life is backing up, that there is a restoration of true worship. Now, the purpose is not to beat all of us up. The purpose is just simply to get us to think and to take seriously what we're actually doing, that if we're actually doing what God says and then coming to His house to worship Him. He, he was serious about this. He's serious about how we worship, and I think that we should be serious as well. Again, this is our, our, our worship comes out of a heart of love to God because of what He has done for us. Because He, he sees our, our sin, but when we call to Him, and we, we want Him to be our sin bearer, we call upon Him, we turn from our sin, we believe on Christ, and He forgives us. And then we simply want to follow Him. Follow him out of love. And when we fall away, when we sin against him, we repent. We don't have just a religion, it's a living, breathing relationship with Christ that changes our lives. I hope that even in your small groups, you get to, when you get to like James 1, he's going to help you to flush that out a little bit today. And uh, I hope that uh, you'll be able to just take some of these things, think through them about the meaning behind these. Evaluate our own lives. Get in a quiet place and pray to the Lord. And just evaluate and, and, and thank God because He is merciful and kind and just and He forgives us and He restores us. And that's where true joy comes from living and walking with Him. Let's pray. Lord, I come before You only by the merits of only by the, the blood of Jesus. Lord, I explain to my brothers and sisters what your word what your word says, and and uh, I seek to apply it to my own life as well. Lord, there are so many times that we see sin in other people, we judge that, but it's easy to overlook our own sin. Help us to not do that. Lord, help us to have clean hands, a clean heart to walk worthy of the gospel, to take serious your commands, Lord, um, to love you with all of our heart, to love our neighbor, to be a light to those around us, to strive to be holy. But in the end, Lord, I pray that all of our trust is in you, Lord, we come, we, we don't want any of these things to puff us up, to think that we're better than anyone, because we're not. We just simply want to boast in Jesus, and to boast in our God, and to worship our God. So, Lord, I pray that you will um, dismiss us, Lord, with your with your blessing. I pray that you will change all of us, that we will be conformed to the image of your Son. I do pray, Lord, that you will bless us as we Uh, go to small groups and bless our discussions Lord help us to go in with humble attitudes right attitudes uh, 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 and a desire to to share to care about one another to learn to listen and to worship you Lord Uh, Lord we just thank you for the gospel which is free to all who will believe and Lord we just give you praise and honor and glory to Jesus and now to him who is able to do uh, far more abundantly above all that we ask or think, to Him be glory and power and majesty and dominion now and forever, forevermore. Amen. And the Lord richly bless you this afternoon.